today on Mother Mayhem. There's no age limit for telling the inner critic to shut the heck up. We're never going to be too old to show our inner child some love, kindness, respect, or validation. And there's never going to be an age when we're suddenly rendered incapable of receiving that love, that kindness, or that respect. Wherever any of you are in your journey toward recovery, I assure you, I promise you, it's not too late to believe that you are worthy and deserving of love. Welcome back to Mother Mayhem, the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Podcast for Daughters. Hi, I'm your host, Heather Gray. I'm a therapist currently in practice working with women on narcissistic abuse recovery, and I'm so glad you joined me today. Thanks to brave women who have been willing to share their stories and do their narcissistic abuse recovery work a little more publicly. Today's episode is actually the first of six episodes that are coming directly from listeners asking their questions, writing in, and sharing their stories. I'm so grateful to each of you women who have been sharing your vulnerabilities and allowing other women to listen in and know they aren't alone. It's been one thing for me to sit in this chair as the expert. It's another thing entirely when you hear someone else tell a story that so closely resembles your own. To the women writing in, you're helping so many other women just by showing up with your story. Episode by episode, you're all going to be showing each other that you aren't alone and that others are really in it with you. And what an incredibly special community we're building together. I'm so grateful to be here with each of you. Before we do dig into today's episode, I do have a favor to ask of each of you listening. If you have gotten any value from this show and the conversation we're having, please do leave a review in your podcast app for it. Reviews tell the podcast apps that the content is good, and as a result, they're more likely to share the show with other listeners or include it on lists of recommended podcasts. I really would be so grateful if you would consider doing so. This is one of those times when I just need your help to get the job done. So I appreciate your consideration and thinking about doing that. Thank you so much. So today we're talking to Nancy. Nancy isn't her real name, but I think her story is going to feel really real to many of you. I'm going to be reading Nancy's letter, and I'm going to be reading all of the other letters sent to me in its entirety, because I do think it's a critical piece of narcissistic abuse recovery work to learn how to take up space. And I have to, I have to tell you guys, every single letter I've gotten so far comes with a side note apologizing for the story's length. You're all just so used to only being seen when someone wants something, when you show up perfectly, or when you only speak when spoken to. And you're wired to think you're all too much, to think that you have to play small, or to think that no one's going to care about your story, what happened to you, or how you're feeling. It takes work to show up as you are. And that's the work we're doing here together. So by writing in with your letter, and allowing me to read it in its entirety, that's actually part of the narcissistic abuse recovery work. So I'm in it with you, and we're using that as an example. 
So here's what Nancy writes. Praise God you started this podcast. Well, I'm always going to love an email that starts that way, Nancy. Thank you so much. I listen to other therapists, but nobody hit quite hits it on the head like you do. I'm 60 years old and still trying to heal from the narcissistic abuse my mother ever so powerfully delivered and to this day still does. I know other people need help with other situations, but how do you heal from a mother that has never really loved you? Within the last couple of years, I've begun my healing journey, but something has always been lacking. Nobody speaks solely about narcissistic mothers. I've been the scapegoat and my sister was always the golden child. I always, always knew something wasn't right, but it didn't have a name. My first memories were, no one will ever love you because you're fat. You can't do this because you're fat. You'll die giving birth because you're fat. You're lazy because, etc., etc., etc. Just recently, I found out my mom wasn't actually sure who my father was because she had an affair at the time that she became pregnant with me. My dad died 30 years ago, and I felt like he was the only person who ever really loved me. My mom is 82 now, and she works two jobs to support my sister and her ex-husband. My sister's never worked and is a malignant narcissist also. She becomes violent with my mom. Then when my mom was angry with her, she informed me that she had given my sister two houses, multiple vehicles, and paid off six different loans and put everything in her name because she wasn't actually ever sure if I was really my father's daughter. And that's just scratching the surface. Ooh, okay, Nancy, we're all going to just take a deep breath with you. The how am I supposed to love myself if not even my own mother can love me? How do I even begin this work when it started so long ago? A lot of women relating to this are listening right now and listening to your story. And I know they're rooting for you. I know they're supporting you. And I, I know they're waiting to see what I say next, too. Thank you so much for sharing this with me. I know it sounds like the recovery process is going to be this long, arduous thing, and I get it. And I've gotten letters and notes on social media from other women like you who are over the age of 50, and it feels very real to them that it might be too late for them to recover from narcissistic abuse. And I first want to reassure you that it really isn't too late. At any point in time, we get to decide that the way we're thinking about ourselves and talking to ourselves isn't working and that we want to do something differently. There's no age limit for telling the inner critic to shut the heck up. We're never going to be too old to show our inner child some love, kindness, respect, or validation. And there's never going to be an age when we're suddenly rendered incapable of receiving that love, that kindness, or that respect. Wherever any of you are in your journey toward recovery, I assure you, I promise you, it's not too late to believe that you are worthy and deserving of love. And Nancy, you're right in sharing with me that you're only scratching the surface. And I, I agree with you. This really is only the surface here. But for you and anyone listening, I want to remind you guys that the first eight episodes of the show, I recorded them in a really deliberate, specific order. I wanted to introduce you to that core framework for recovery. And I want to remind you, too, of what we've talked about in our first episodes. Narcissism often presents as these grandiose displays of ego 
Narcissists are actually driven by shame. They feel so badly about themselves that they present in the polar opposite image that they have of themselves. And they hope that no one's going to dig deeper or look harder or discover their dirty little secret. In sharing that your mom imagined that you might be the product of an affair, you became a constant reminder of her choice. Whatever she thought of herself for her actions, she projected that onto you. And she distances herself from you so as to distance herself from all of those feelings about your birth and what they make her think of herself. And Nancy, I know that as a little kid, you probably projected her distancing onto yourself. And you imagined and you believed that she was distancing herself from you because of her feelings about you. I also know you probably didn't have to use your imagination all that much because it really sounds like she told you that a time or two. I'm so sorry that that's true for you. But I have to tell you and remind you that this isn't really how it works with narcissists. Narcissists are only driven by what they think of themselves and what they think other people will think of them. So while you absorbed her story and her distance as something wrong with you, it was never about you. She was working to control the narrative closer to something that she liked and could approve of. So her distance, it wasn't about you. It's always been about her and her story about herself. That is the root of narcissism right there. Your mom separating herself from you it really had nothing to do with you and absolutely everything to do with her. And Nancy, I know and everyone listening knows that it doesn't feel that way. After years and years of internalizing her rejection and her neglect as your fault, it's become an ingrained habit to think of yourself in that way. And it's going to take some time to break that habit but we start doing that by giving yourself permission. You make a conscious choice to choose not to believe the messaging you received about yourself and your worth. You give yourself permission to write and craft your own narrative about who you are and what you deserve. Your mom has been writing your story and controlling that narrative about yourself for this entire time. And you get control back by taking the proverbial pen back. And you do that by seeing that she was trying to distance herself from the affair she had and from the judgment she feared she would receive. It wasn't about you. It was never about you. So you can remove the shame and the blame you've been carrying and let her own it. It doesn't mean that she will own it but you can take it off of you and put it onto her, even if you only do that symbolically in your own mind. Now, remember what we've talked about with narcissists in my earlier episodes here. Your mom, like any narcissist, is largely incapable of love. That's the core truth that so many daughters of narcissistic mothers really struggle to embrace. All of you have crafted these narratives that imply that your mother could have chosen to love you, but she opted not to. Narcissists just aren't wired 
for connection. They're wired for self-preservation. I'm going to repeat that. Narcissists aren't wired for connection. They're wired for self-preservation. Remember our first conversations on the show. Personality disorders are really more accurately defined as relationship disorders. Some people just have traits of the disorders when they're like feeling defensive or when they're backed into a corner. But someone with a full-blown personality disorder is largely incapable of love. They're just not built that way. They don't experience themselves that way. They don't experience other people that way. And they don't experience them in connection to other people that way. Nancy, you were for sure scapegoated, emotionally abused, and neglected. And I can only imagine how you've experienced all of that over the years. You were told that all of this was because of you and your weight, so you were bullied and brainwashed into believing it. Seeing your sister being treated so differently, you perceived her golden child status, you perceived that as her being loved and you not being loved. And a key moment in your healing will be when you begin to really absorb that your mom didn't and couldn't love your sister either. That isn't love. Remember, narcissism isn't just with one or two people. Narcissism, it's how the person moves through the world. Your mom just wasn't narcissistic with you. She was narcissistic with everyone. It just looked different when it was played out with different people. With you, she separated herself from you so she could separate from the reminder of the actions that she had and what anyone else might have thought of her transgression. She made your sister her redemption, the thing that erased her poor perception of herself. That isn't love. The actions that she made toward your sister weren't about your sister or how your sister moved through the world. And it just as like her actions towards you and her withdrawal from you and all of that wasn't about anything you did or how you moved through your, the world. Your mom treated your sister the way she did because of how it made her feel about herself. Whatever narrative she created about how she took care of your sister or helped your sister, that's what she was attached to, not your sister. How her relationship with your sister made her feel about herself. That's what mattered to her. Doing all of these things, showering your sister with all of these gifts, it was always going to be about how those actions made your mom feel about herself or how they made your mom's life easier. It sounds like your sister isn't all that pleasant to be around either. So your mom may have carved out a little niche for herself by doing all of these things in the hopes that her own life would be easier and she'd be able to dodge your sister. But it was never about making your sister feel any kind of way. It was always about her. So recovery, what it looks like, it looks like changing the story. It's not that your mom didn't love you. That implies that she had a choice to love you, but chose not to. Your mom couldn't love you. And that hurts. So it hurts me just to have to say it out loud. Let's just take a beat and take a breath together. This, this shit's hard. <laughs> it's, it's, it's intense. It's a lot. 
And we're all just going to take a beat and a breath together right now. And remember that anytime the show gets to be too much, anytime the content hits a little too close to home, you can always breathe your way through it. You can, I've guided you in previous episodes about a deep breathing exercise you've done. I've reminded you around grounding exercises that we have and toolkits and skills that we've done over time across the episodes. Anytime I say something that hard, you can always take a beat and you can always take a breath and we can breathe our way through it together. Thanks for... Thanks for breathing in, breathing through it with me. I am having a bit of a moment on the mic. I'm just, I'm so moved and inspired by what we're all doing and the conversation we're having. And I, I, it's really meaningful to me that we're all doing this together and spending this time together. So we're going to breathe through it. We're going to work on changing our narrative. And then Nancy, it's time to start asking different questions. Because your mom couldn't love you, Are you willing to find healthy people who are capable of loving you instead? And are you willing maybe to change the story of what maternal love looks like and feels like for you? Because here's the thing, and this is true for you and it's true for everybody listening. Your need for love is inarguable. We all need it. It's not just a Nancy thing. It's not just a Heather thing. We all need to be loved. And just because your mom couldn't do it doesn't mean that you lost your shot at it. And it doesn't mean that you can't have it. But what we do have to do here is we have to scan the lens out a little bit and look at this from a different angle. Sometimes it's easier to see a point that's being made when it's not about you and it's about someone else. So I guess as I sit here, I'm going to sit here and and share a little bit of myself. So my story, a little bit of it at least, is that my mom died when I was six. And we all know that we need and deserve love and validation and nurturance as we grow into healthy, functional people, right? In order to be healthy, functional people, a lot of us need and deserve love. It's in the science books, folks. It's true. Just because my mom died... It didn't mean that I didn't need love anymore. And it didn't mean that because my mom couldn't do it, that I lost my one shot at having it and that I was destined to live a life without a maternal figure or without maternal love. No, of course not. I still had the need and I still needed that need to be met. And so for me, that meant that I needed to allow other women to meet that need because my mom couldn't. That's going to be your challenge too, even though your mom was alive or is alive. You have to give yourself permission to have that need met by someone else and allow other people to fill those empty spaces, to take a close relationship you have with someone and allow it to heal and fill the maternal need. What I want all of you doing is think about the women in your life who may have looked after you, who paid closer attention to you, who noticed you, who validated you. And I want you to give yourselves permission to allow that love, to allow that nurturance to seep into that empty hole that's been left by your mother's absence or her rejection or her neglect. And what I really need all of you to do right now is really pay attention to the word permission. 
As I work with women, it is not my observation that there aren't any other women in their lives who love my clients. Rather, they don't give themselves permission to let that kind of maternal love count toward healing the mother wound. As a result, they live with this gaping hole of unmet needs inside them rather than believing my own mom couldn't love me but these other women loved me in her stead. None of you listening would have denied me the second chance at having a mom kind of love just because my mom died at six. None of you would think that I had my one chance and lost it. I don't even know any of you, and I know all of you would have encouraged me to take in the love and the nurturance that my friends' moms were showing me. You would have had me notice the special interest that the teachers took in me. You would have encouraged me to pay attention to love of my extended family and all the love they had for me. I was the first grandkid in a family of 12 great aunts and uncles. I had 12 sets of grandparents and you would have let me wrap myself up in their love and you wouldn't have begrudged me any of it. When I share with you now that as a young adult in my first job, I got too attached to my supervisor because I saw her as a mom, you would all get it. And when I explained to you that I experienced her guidance of my career as love, I think you'd get that too. And you would allow me to have that. That's what all of you have to do for yourselves. That's my challenge to you as you're listening to me and sharing in Nancy's stories. That's how you recover from having a mom who couldn't love you. Giving yourselves permission to let the light and let the love of someone else in to fill that hole. I know it's a really emotional ask. I know it comes with a whole heaping side of vulnerability, but that is the work of narcissistic abuse recovery. A lot of you have tricky relationships with other people. Your mom may not have been the only narcissist in your life. We just heard from Nancy that her sister has one too. Survivors of narcissistic abuse, you're often going to be attracted to or attracted by other narcissists, and all of this is going to be in this weird subconscious attempt to heal that mother wound. When I say you have to give yourselves permission to be loved, like I'm paying like special attention and emphasis on the people who have shown themselves to be healthy and worthy of your love and attention and affection, not just the people who make you feel the way your mom did growing up. That is a really important side note. Now, Nancy, once you wrap your mind around all of that, that's when you can get on with the business of loving yourself a little bit better. And the core piece of this is going to be reparenting yourself, giving yourself the love, validation, nurturance, and grace that you never had as a kid, but you're going to give it to yourself now, no matter how old you are. Nancy, one of the weapons that your mom used against you was your size, right? I, I want to be really clear here. You weren't targeted because of your size. You were targeted for some reason that none of us are ever really going to understand or know. And why would we want to be able to understand that or know it? We don't actually ever want to be able to understand the mind of a narcissist. We don't ever want to be that close, right? But I do need you to see that it wasn't your body that made you unlovable to your mom. Your body just happened to be her weapon of choice. Your body was weaponized by your mom. 
And think of people who are targeted for being too tall, too short, too thin, who have childlike voices or like me, have an unusual tone to their voice. That's the thing that I always got made fun of as a kid. It isn't because of those things or those characteristics. Those aren't the flaws that make somebody unlovable. Rather, they're characteristics that have been weaponized to suit the narcissistic narrative. That's what that is. So one of the things we have to do and help you with here, Nancy, is we have to help you start showing your body a little bit more gratitude so you can stop beating it up all the time. Because let me tell you something, Nancy, it has gotten you through 100% of your bad days. It has been there with you. It's protected you. It's kept you company. Changing the relationship you have with your body and the narrative you have attached to it really is going to be a critical part of your recovery. Your body, it's had your back. It's gotten you through. It's kept you company through every bad, sad, lonely day. It's held you and the hardest parts of your story with you. And we owe it gratitude for that. And we show it grace. It has been battered by trauma. And it is a reflection of how hard your life has been. It is not a reflection of the reason your life has been hard. Let me repeat that one too. You guys are getting lots of golden nuggets today. Your body is not a reflection of why your life has been hard. It's a reflection of how hard your life has been. I really want you to let those words sink in, Nancy. And I want everybody who's sitting here with body shame and body blame to let them sink in too. And I want you to pay even closer attention to your body. How often are you at peace with yourself versus stuck in that fight, flight, or freeze response? Body regulation is going to be a key component of narcissistic abuse recovery for all of you. But if you are sitting in some body shame and blame, learning how to regulate your body and calm your nervous system, it's going to be even more of a key component of recovery work for you. I have to be honest, it's not entirely my area of expertise. And there are a lot of other people in the space who are doing it and teaching it far better than I am. But a good way to start thinking about this is increasing your understanding of what you're like and how it feels when you were stuck in that fight, flight, or freeze response. Increasing your understanding of what things, people, situations, or memories create that kind of fight, flight, or freeze response. It's increasing your self-awareness, right, Nancy? So it's about knowing your buttons and teaching yourself more about what you can do when you're having those kinds of reactions. Because if you understand what brings out those reactions, again, like some people like to use the word trigger here. I'm not a fan of the word trigger, but like when you're having that kind of emotional response, knowing what sets that off in you, but also starting to learn what helps your body calm is going to help you get a bigger sense of control and a bigger sense of body awareness so that you can start to have a better understanding with yourself and be more in tune with what it is you need. And if you start collecting the tools and strategies that help you when you're dysregulated, you'll feel better faster. 
the most important thing to remember here is when you notice that you're in fight or flight or freeze (laughs) as soon as close to possible as is possible, you just want to stop everything. A lot of you are so used to white knuckling and pushing yourselves through when you're feeling dysregulated. You tell yourselves not now, you don't have the time, you blame yourself for being upset about something that other people wouldn't be upset about. You don't give yourself permission to take the time to calm down. But when you white knuckle it, when you set your jaw and grind your teeth and push through, you're re-traumatizing those old wounds that tell you that your pain doesn't matter, that your body is hurting, but it doesn't matter, that nothing is important. And so if you don't tend to your bodies when they're dysregulated, you're contributing to re-traumatization of yourself. So it's really important to start noticing when you're caught in that fight, flight, or freeze response and learning to calm yourself down. Once you're able to get yourself out of that fight, flight, or freeze response, you'll be more able to like really notice your own feelings. You'll be able to start naming them, not judging them, but then you'll be able to see them through. Here's how it works. So often as a kid, being mad, sad, or scared, it was so inconvenient. It would make you a bigger target for your mom. So you'd all get used to like shoving your feelings down and ignoring them. But the storage container of invalidated feelings and unmet needs often leads to this dysregulation, the dysfunction, and episodes of anxiety and depression. But if you're able to see feelings as they come up and see them through, I'm not talking like wrapping yourself up in them, becoming a victim to them, or wallowing in them, but noticing the feelings that come up acknowledging them, naming them, and seeing them through. A major part of reparenting yourselves is always going to be about changing that inner dialogue. So recovery, it's going to look like naming the feeling, removing the blaming and shaming stories we have about ourselves, using more loving language, and showing ourselves more self-respect. Again, this is going to come down to giving yourselves permission to stop beating yourselves up and start showing yourselves more love. It means giving yourself permission to hear loving words that other people speak of you and treat them as true. And it means using more loving language towards yourselves. Sometimes it's going to look like calling yourselves out when you're beating the shit out of yourselves and showing yourselves more grace. And since I'm apparently in a mood to share personal stories about myself, my editor for this show is Heather Clark, and she's known me for six or seven years now. And so she's been editing these episodes. She's the one who helps me sound good. So we can all take a moment to thank Heather Clark. But she said to me recently, hey, I edited the episode. It's all set. But I just want you to know that I removed a disparaging comment you made about yourself. You don't need to give energy to that thought. And then a few weeks later, she gave me the note that she had removed a paragraph from an episode because I over-explained myself and that I didn't have to. The holistic psychologist on social media, she's a really good one to follow. Um, She's great. And I've learned a lot from her. Even as a therapist, I've learned from the way she teaches things and explains things. 
And one of the things I learned from her is that over-explaining is a trauma response. And as soon as I saw this post from the holistic psychologist, I totally saw myself in it and recognized myself in it because I absolutely have a really significant fear of being misunderstood and then being ostracized because of it. The more important that a topic is for me here on the show or the more sensitive I feel about it being me to cover it, the more I tend to overexplain myself. And Heather protected me from that. But I really love this as an analogy. So if you thought of your inner dialogue as a podcast episode that's being broadcast out, what would you want your editor to take out? Start giving yourselves permission to take it out your damn selves. Honestly, what would you edit out if you heard that inner critic? And if you don't know how to do that for yourselves yet because you're just too tied to your inner critic being right, then think of your six-year-old girl inside you that was beat down and battered down by your moms. And or if you can't even do it about yourself, pick another listener of the show and put her at age six. Imagine you have your own editor. And if you can't imagine those words being directed at the six-year-old version of another listener on this show, and what would you want that little girl to hear? And what would you want that little girl to know? And start editing out the garbage and the critical thoughts and the naming and the blaming. We want you to give yourselves permission to rewrite the questions you're asking. We want to give yourselves permission to rewrite the narrative and the whole story. And we want you to allow yourselves to be mothered by somebody who wasn't your mom, including yourselves. We're changing this relationship you have with your body. We're changing the language you use to talk about it and how you consider it in yourself. We're naming feelings without blaming them and without shaming yourselves for having them. And we're noticing them and we're seeing them through. We're changing that inner dialogue by being our own editor and editing the bullshit out. We're paying attention to your body. We're prioritizing its regulation. And we do not pass go until we feel regulated and in control. And this is a lot. And I know I've been talking at you guys a lot here. And I don't want to do that. I do, though, want to give you this complete outlook and frame for how to look at this and drive this for yourselves and organize this for your own self-reflection. Part of this is going to be looking at the relationships you have and how they confirm or deny the story you have about yourselves. Nancy, if you're in a relationship with people who affirm and replicate your mom's treatment of you or that inner critic you have about yourself, you're going to want to make note of that and you're going to want to start building in distance in those relationships or considering more boundaries in them. I actually think that every single gosh darn thing I'm teaching here is self-care. <laughs> Narcissistic abuse recovery work is self-care. You can't just take this break from being the inner critic by going to the spa and then coming back and beating yourselves up when you're back at it. So while it's tempting to get on the self-care bandwagon, I really want you to actually, instead of thinking about self-care, 
I want you to think that a critical part of narcissistic abuse recovery work is going to be changing the relationship you have with the idea of rest. Rest looks like so many different things to so many different people. But when we're talking about narcissistic abuse recovery work, what I'm asking of you and outlining for you is that recognizing trauma work, and that's what we're doing here, guys. This is trauma work. It is exhausting. So while you're doing it, you have got to be prepared to be more tired more easily. You have to prepare yourself to need more rest, and you have got to give yourselves permission to rest, to seek rest, and to value rest. People get obsessed with trauma recovery work. I got an email from someone that said that they binged all my episodes, and I think at the time we were like up to episode five. You can't be <laughs> listening and binging trauma work. Trauma work doesn't work that way. It's tempting when you finally find answers, when you finally have somebody offering insight to just wrap yourselves up in it. And I get it. You finally feel seen. You finally feel understood. You finally see a path. All of that makes so much sense to me. But one of the things attached to this too is I recognize that a word I see in a lot of the emails and the notes is the word desperate. I understand that all of you are finding me at a time when you're in pain and you're desperate for relief. And I, I promise you, I get that. You're going to want, and I know a lot of you <laughs> listening are these type A people who just want to listen and get the thing done. You're going to want to push through and you're going to want to move this quickly. But Nancy and everybody listening, this shit takes time. We don't want you, Nancy, just to feel seen and validated here because I said something and I'm answering your question and same goes for any of you listening. I want all of you feeling seen and validated because you're actually starting to believe the things I'm saying. That's where the healing happens. And it happens by building habits out of all the things I've started talking about today. That's the path. And I know it's daunting, but I also really, really, truly believe it's possible. Nancy, gosh, thank you so much for your question today. And I know I threw a lot at you, but I also know that you and everyone else in the same place You've all got this. You can do this. And it's never too late. You have a whole community around the world in this with you. Seriously, guys, around the world. This podcast just last week charted in Iceland. <laughs> Hi, Iceland. Thank you for liking my show. You charted me at 35 for all mental health podcasts in Iceland. All of us are in this together and we're having this conversation and I believe it's possible for all of you in whatever country you find yourselves in and wherever you find yourself listening. And next week, we're going to be talking to Carly and you know, Carly is not her real name, but she didn't figure out her problematic dynamic with her mom until her mom spiraled out when Carly got married. So, of course, like a lot of it is once you see your mom as a narcissist, Carly can't unsee it. 
and she's looking for understanding and guidance on managing her mom's meltdown. So we're all going to be in it with her next week. Thank you, all of you, so much for your vulnerability. Thank you, Nancy, for sharing your story and for contributing to this community in the way you did. And I know, I, I so know that you made it safer for other women to do it as well. So thank you very, very much. Anyone now who has a question for the show and wants my two cents on this and wants my help in navigating their story, all of you are welcome to send in a voice memo or an email to heather at daughtersnpd.com. Thank you so much for today. I'm always going to be in it with you. Everyone listening is in it with you too. Bye for now. I'm so grateful that you're here. You're right where you're supposed to be. At its heart, I'm hoping to use this show to build the community of women working together to heal from childhoods marked by maternal narcissism and emotional neglect. My goal for Mother Mayhem is that this show becomes an advice and mentoring-driven show where you share your questions, struggles, and stories, and I offer you direction for healing and recovery. That can't happen without your contributions. I invite you to send a recorded voice memo or write in an email with your questions and things you're struggling with. You can always find me over at heather at daughtersnpd.com. To connect further, I invite you to find me over at Instagram and occasionally on TikTok at daughtersnpd. If you know another woman who needs this conversation in her life, I'm going to ask that you share the show with her. You can help me get the word out with your reviews and social shares of the show and I hope you'll consider doing so. Special thanks to Heather Clark for editing this show. She's in my head and knows what I meant to say when the words come out backwards. Thanks for your time today. I'm always in it with you. Bye for now.